The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. Thank you for joining me today as we wrap up our series, When God Applies the Rules of Suffering to Himself. Our subject for today is The Little While of Suffering Made Sacred. The Little While of Suffering Made Sacred. And uh, our meditations will be primarily in First Peter, the third chapter, from about the 8th to the 15th verse. So uh, in, this, in these few verses, the Lord Jesus becomes the heavenly example of the spiritual man conquering and going through an episode of suffering. And at this point, uh, I'd like to just issue a reminder that those of us who have entered into this path by faith in the Lord Jesus will never again be able to extricate ourselves from these periodic uh, episodes of suffering. This is a God-ordained paradigm for every Christian, and any attempt to get out of it will only be fraught with futility, uh, the sort of chasing the wind experience that Solomon spoke of. And what I want you to remember is that suffering, any kind of suffering, any kind of difficulty, challenge to our faith is a vital component in the spiritual life. It is the spiritual static element which allows God to insert grace, love, and execute on his promises And this becomes the single most circumstance affording any Christian the supreme privilege of walking with God. In this experience, there are three absolutes. Regardless of who we are, three absolutes must be present. The first, and perhaps most important, not that The others are to be secondary in importance, but the first absolute is holiness. Holiness is mandatory. Uh, Holiness is one of those attributes of God that distinguishes Jehovah in the law and the prophets. By virtue of his holiness, he is set apart from all gods of all the nations And he is set forth as the living God, the Almighty. And so it is incumbent upon us, as his called out people, to be holy in all of our conduct, because it is written in 1 Peter 1 and 16, Be you 
holy, for I am holy. The second absolute is that of communion or fellowship with God. And Peter writes, uh, I believe in the second chapter of his first letter, that if we invoke the name of God as our Father, then we need to note that he judges not according to our person, but according to our works. And since his judgment is holy, the first attribute, the response to our works will also be on the basis of his holiness. That fact is the red flag alert to us that we of necessity must live a life in fear of God's holiness. Now, in the event someone dares to think that communion uh, is an absolute or that communion with God seems to overreach into my personal freedoms, I want you to remember an Old Testament uh, circumstance when two of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, uh, and you can find this in the first uh, three or four verses in Leviticus 10. And they came and they offered incense with strange fire. And the Hebrew word translated strange means unauthorized or profane. And Jehovah not only rejected their sacrifice, but found it so offensive that he consumed both men with fire. And the statement that the Spirit of God made through Moses was, this was what Jehovah spoke, saying, I will be hallowed in them that come near me, and before all the people I will be glorified. The third absolute points to the fact that Christ suffered he experienced what we are addressing as a topic, suffering, and in that suffering and through that suffering procured for us an eternal redemption. And we find that in Hebrews 9.12. And as such, he going before us as our divine and supreme example, we also will endure suffering. But out of that suffering, we are called to bless others with works of well-doing. Good works. Now, it's a very general topic, and, and we'll, we'll go a little deeper in our podcast. But this is the third absolute, that Christ suffered, and in and through that suffering procured for us an eternal redemption. There's a blessing, there's a good that redounds to us. Even so, we in this chaotic cosmos, we also suffer and are called to bless others with good works. And Peter sets forth this point that the prophets who prophesied of the grace that we are now experiencing and enjoying, these prophets were given by the Holy Spirit a view of the sufferings that were associated with the Messiah 
and the glories that should follow after these sufferings. When we think of these three attributes, there is a symbiotic relationship between our walk with God in holiness, in communion, and in works of well-doing. They are wedded together. They are knit together like a three-fold cord. And this must be evident in all of our experiences of challenge and difficulty. We cannot separate these three elements. They are wedded together, I say. And it becomes, the three of them becomes, as it were, a badge of distinction for the mature Christian. We are told in First Peter, uh, the second chapter, uh, at about the 23rd verse, that in the midst of suffering, the Lord Jesus delivered himself up into the hands of him, that is, the Father, who judges righteously. He gave custody of himself and all that surrounds him. He gave custody to a righteous God. Another way of looking at this is analogous to someone having a business, for example, uh, over which they have placed another, another perhaps trusted individual to manage and care for this business and all of its attending interests. So too did the Lord Jesus with respect to his whole being and the experience in suffering and what he was going to do on our behalf. He committed, he handed over, he gave custody of all of this into the hands of the Father. And this picture that, that Peter paints in the second chapter of this letter, um, perhaps the last uh, five or six verses, he paints a picture of the Lord Jesus who, to whom we look to and are exhorted that he is the model that we are called to follow. In fact, Peter says, as he provides for us this model, this template. He says, For to this you have been called. For Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a model that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when reviled, reviled it not again. When suffering, threatened not, but gave himself over into the hands of him who judges righteously. And what of the result? What happened when he did that, my friends? Well, the next verse tells us, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree in order that, being dead to sins, we may live to righteousness, by whose stripes you have been healed. And these three verses perhaps more than any other in the New Testament letters, these three verses becomes the Christian's template for living and for suffering. The model of our Lord Jesus Christ to which we are commanded and to which we are called to follow is laid before us. His model has and had as its beneficiary you, me, 
and the whole world. And I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus lived every day in holiness and walking in the presence of God, his Father, pleasing the Father in all that he does, in all that he says. And in doing so, he had to endure criticism. He had to have his teachings challenged by his detractors down to the very manner in which he healed and the days on which he healed it, he was constantly attacked. And ultimately, we have the death of the cross. But in all of that, he had mankind as the targeted beneficiaries of a life lived in complete submission to God. My dear Christian friend, this is the mind of the Spirit of God for you and me. That we, too, in the midst of our suffering, endeavor to walk with God in the same way, holding to this template that we have been exhorted to follow, demonstrating towards those who perhaps have become the source of our suffering, good works, blessing others, working for their benefit in the, in the grace and power of the Spirit of God, even if they are the source of our suffering. And so this is the model that we live to in every arena of our lives. We serve with equanimity the pleasant and the unpleasant folks out there for the glory of God. Let me make a quick left turn, if you will, and ask, what about our relationships within the body of Christ with other like-minded believers? Not necessarily like behaving believers, but like-minded believers. And, and we're exert, exhorted, again in 1 Peter 8, uh, 3, 8, to, that we all should be of one mind, sympathizing, full of brotherly love, clothed with humility and compassion, even with believers who exhibit contrary behavior. So, <laughs> to broaden the scope somewhat, in chapter 1, the Spirit of God directs our view through Peter's writing to our first calling. And we just a little while ago read of that calling in chapter 2 in verse 21, that to this we have been called, that Christ suffered for you, leaving you a model. And those are the key words, leaving you a model that you should follow in his steps. That is clear. Many ask, what's the will of God for my life? Here it is. To this, you, insert your name, have been called. <laughs> You've been called to this. And if you ask, well, what is the this? The this is Christ suffered for you. Substitutionary. Wonderful. But here's responsibility and accountability, leaving you a model that you should follow. Responsibility in his steps. Accountability. Now we arrive at our second calling, and that is to bless others with our life and our lips. We are called to suffer 
because we follow in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are also called to bless. The scriptures are filled with exhortations to express brotherly love. But the reality is we often encounter people within our places of worship that are challenging to interact with. I grant you that. Their words, their manner, are often devoid of grace. And so you ask me, well, Christian, what do I do in those circumstances? Well, the sad reality is, and I have to acknowledge, the sad reality is, our tongues often betray the fact that we are hypocrites. We're hypocrites. And a lot of people sometimes have avoided church-going folk for this very reason. We often render evil for evil. We are unkind. Even Solomon, in his portrayal of the godly woman in Proverbs 31, verse 26, states clearly that, quote, the law of kindness is on her tongue, on the godly wife's tongue. The law of kindness Good works, grace, kindness is not a new teaching. It's not something for the 21st century. (laughs) It's not a new principle. Sadly, places of, of worship are filled with those whose mouths are full of praise to God and the praise of God, but the words, their words towards their brothers and sisters are mixed with sarcasm, unkindness, belittling remarks, criticisms, and all manner of speech that essentially robs a person of their dignity. And I've said to friends on several occasions, ultimately, I have how can I say, I have adorned the faith. If a man's dignity is kept intact and even enhanced after they have had an encounter with me, then I am exemplifying Christian love and blessing in a biblical way. If a man's dignity is intact or enhanced After their encounter with me or you, then I can reasonably conclude I'm exemplifying Christian love and and good works in a fairly accurate way. But if the person is humiliated or marginalized or embarrassed by our speech and our manner, then perhaps we have reached the holy mandate of the Spirit of God to be a blessing to others. My friend, the Spirit of God wills to work in us this outcome. Right here, 1 Peter 3 and 10. He that will love life and see good days, let him cause his tongue to cease from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. This verse is an unequivocal refusal of the Spirit of God to move our tongues to speak evil. His purpose is to equip and fill us and clothe us 
in holiness. As Peter says, as he who has called you is holy, you, me, you, us, we, be holy in all your conduct. And when we look at, for example, 1 Peter 3 and 10, this particular verse sets us apart in our speech and our motives when he says that our tongues speak no guile. That is, our intent is not to deceive people or to be crafty in such a way that they are unawares of our intentions. Essentially, our words, our thoughts, our intentions should not be veiled like a decoy, <laughs> hiding our true motives. There are some that, that believe that being blessed is more of an evidencing of material wealth. But oftentimes, being blessed has more to do with quality of life, seeing good in our days. And you might recall we learned in a prior podcast that it is God from whom all good gifts and all perfect gifts spring. And here we are being offered a full life, good days. Now, we're dealing with this in a very general manner. I grant you that. But we want experiences that are filled with a greater measure and enjoyment of the presence of God experientially. And we want a life with greater spiritual vitality. And we want joy that is not uh, uh, happenstance. And this is possible that Peter, under the direction of the Spirit of God, points us to the fact that this is achievable when our tongues cease from evil, when people's dignity is intact after they have interacted with us, and our lips are not beguiling. People's dignity is maintained. So let's, let's talk a little bit about motive and, uh, or purpose. So not only is our mandate centered on what we say, but also what we intend to do. And Peter goes on to say in the 11th verse of, of, of the third chapter, and let him avoid evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Avoid evil, do good. That's fairly binary. Stay away from the evil, like, like Joseph when he ran from uh, Potiphar's uh, uh, a wife, and do good. But seeking peace and pursuing it is forward-looking. We can't, my friends, we can't separate our words from our actions. We can't intend to sound like Christians only. Our actions must be wedded together with our words like, like Siamese twins. And people often make a valiant effort to sound like a Christian by the verbiage, verbiage that we use. But when our behavior is evaluated, our words and our intentions are betrayed by our conduct. 
And oftentimes, <laughs> our conduct speaks louder. Peter goes on to say, concerning words and actions, as well as intentions, let him seek peace. I mentioned that. Let him seek peace. Go after it. Find it. Search it out. Meditate on it. Think about it. And pursue it. And so as Christians, being a peacemaker really identifies us as those who are influencers for good. Influencers for good. Failure to pursue peace makes us complicit in fostering conflict or disunity. We failed to do good. We fail, I say, by refusing to seek and pursue peace. We fail. God would not have us to stay on the sidelines and say to ourselves, I don't want to get involved. It's not my business. <laughs> we neglect to take advantage of opportunities to influence matters around us in our social circles for good and to bring about a peaceful resolution to many of these circumstances. But our fear of getting involved renders us culpable of indifference or Overt resistance to the Spirit's direction. And so, if you ask, well, what is the why behind striving to be a blessing? And it is the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Peter goes on to say that he beholds how each of us relate and treat one another and his judgment of us or of our works is without respect of persons. Remember, in the first chapter he says, if you invoke as father him who without regard of persons judges according to the work of each, pass the time of your sojourn in fear. And many believers are ignorant of this vital element, that is, the Lord's presence, his presence, his presence. He beholds it. And the Lord Jesus said, he himself, the Spirit of God, speaking of the Lord Jesus, said he committed himself in in the second uh, chapter of, of this first letter, he committed himself into the hands of him who judges righteously. And when the Lord's people suffer because of our words, our conduct, our evil intentions, It will not be without consequence. I remind you, we are a people indwelt by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the self-same Spirit who says that Jesus, his eyes are on the righteous in this very letter, and his ears are open to their supplications. But note this, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. He has positioned himself as your enemy. And that is not a good place to be. His face is against them that do evil. And this is the same spirit who has brought us into trial, into suffering, either 
for growth and maturity or discipline for rebellion and disobedience. Only you can respond to that as to which it is. So, how do we extricate ourselves from a, a holy response from a holy God? <laughs> and why do we think we are exempt from discipline if we injure one of the sheep by virtue of our words, our conduct, our motives? My friends, I need you to think about this because this is a very serious matter. As the Spirit of God said by Peter, his, <laughs> his position towards those that do evil his face is against them. Now we come perhaps to uh, the paradoxical question in this narrative concerning the suffering Christian. And we find it in, in chapter 3 and verse 13 that opens with, a, with a, uh, a paradoxical question. He says, Who shall injure you if you have become imitators of that which is good? Who shall injure you? Now, the whole point is we're, well, we're suffering at the hands of other people and we're exhorted to do them good and to walk in holiness. And then the Spirit of God asks the question, well, who's going to injure you if you become imitators of that which is good? Well, the whole reason why we're suffering is because of that. And we can't even retaliate. We can't take vengeance. And so the Christian's template to which we are all commanded and called to follow for living and suffering is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the supreme model. And this model has as its beneficiary, as I mentioned before, you, me, and all who will follow after. And our Lord Jesus lived day by day in holiness and in the presence of God, seeking to please the Father. And while doing so... He suffered by the words and deeds of his antagonists. So I acknowledge this is a confusing question because we are being injured and we are suffering at the hands of another. Yet, the Spirit of God is taking us into the deeper things of God in that injury Wrongdoing, suffering, are not viewed the same way by God as they are by us. In fact, the divine perspective in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 is that while our outer man is perishing by virtue of the trials we endure, the inner man, by the grace and power of the indwelling spirit, is renewed day by day, dying on the outside, growing and flourishing on the inside. And so there are only two options. We will either suffer for righteousness' sake or we can suffer for as just retribution for our evil deeds. But suffering in and of itself is inescapable. People try to extricate themselves from difficult circumstances. However, the Christian is exhorted to embrace suffering for righteousness' sake. In the midst of suffering, our heart affections, our faith is centered on the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. It's what Peter says, sanctify the Lord, the Christ in your hearts. and Be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within you. And now we, 
displaying in this fallen, chaotic cosmos the very presence and character of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is the great work of the Holy Spirit. Flesh cannot produce this outcome. You know, there are a lot of people back in the 80s, and I speak of it as though it were yesterday, but a lot of people attempted to, to, to exemplify this concept, you know, the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You know, that, that became the catchphrase. Well, what would Jesus do? And this, this really devolved to a vain attempt to do God's will and working in our lives, especially in a circumstance where we deem it to be unfair or, you know, a trial. But this sort of outcome, this attempt to display the character of the Lord Jesus, is not some vain attempt to, to align our, conduct, our conduct, if you will, with what Jesus would do if he was in the exact circumstance that we are currently facing. It's not that. What Peter alludes to is the working of the Holy Spirit transforming our character as we yield to his working and his presence and his purposes in our lives through the venue of suffering. In this experience, we present ourselves to God for his perfect will to be accomplished in our lives. I repeat, we present ourselves to God for his perfect will to be accomplished in our lives by the very circumstances that we are enduring. We do, as the scripture says in in 1 Peter 3.15, we set Christ apart in our hearts as holy, and in doing so, we too become in this world a shining light placed conspicuously for all to see in the midst of suffering. And what do they see? The character, my friends, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Light always has impact. What does God, uh, uh, what has God ordained suffering to achieve? Well, first and foremost, and primarily, impacting people. Light arrests the attention. And when we walk into a darkened room and we activate the light switch, the impact is immediate. Darkness is pierced through by the light. Light pierces the darkness and focuses the attention. And and, and Peter exhorts us, again in the third chapter, not to be fearful or troubled. And I've said this several times, sanctify, set apart the Lord, the Christ in your hearts, And here it is, be always prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. A wholesome witness is one that is not only prepared with words, but also with an impactful life. And I want to acknowledge there are a myriad of opportunities that we create to explain the why of the Christian faith. You know, we want to be apologists for the Christian faith. But the event in which we approach without any sort of manipulation on our part, any manipulation of circumstances, is generated primarily by a life of holiness while suffering and yet blessing others, the very ones who have created the circumstance under which we are suffering. Doing this... (laughs) 
Living this way is the God-ordained opportunity maker for truly being an apologist for the faith. Why? Because men now see holiness. They can't define it in their heads that this is holiness, but they see light. They see grace. They see good. (laughs) What they're seeing is the power of an extraordinary life, enduring what is often by them perceived as the unendurable. Oh, my friends, Christ is in that circumstance, is reflected clearly in our life, in our character, in our words. Peter states that this will certainly cause people to ask about the hope that is in us. And let me ask you, have you ever had that circumstance where someone has come to you and say, for example, why do you do this? Why do you tolerate this? Or, or explain your actions. Or why are you responding this way? Why don't you defend yourself? Why don't you do something? I tell you, it's extraordinary. I've had that experience in, in putting these principles and applying them in my own life. And I saw, I had employees just pull me aside and ask me, like, you know, what are you thinking? Like, why do you do this? What? what's your motive? What's your motivation? And the door to become an apologist simply swung wide open without any attempt on my part to manipulate circumstances. My friends, these are the type of questions that people will typically ask when they see character that is, in my own words, (laughs) otherworldly. When they see light. There is so much that can be said of walking, living in this manner, of allowing the Spirit of God to use the circumstances of our lives to mold and shape us into the likeness of the Savior himself. And I want to remind you that this is why we often draw near to God beside still waters, so that our hearts may be made ready and pliable to respond in simple faith and in submission to the will of God and his purposes in the midst of our suffering. Oh, my friend, my prayer today is that God will give us the grace to live this way day by day for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.